if you were, I don't know, walking down a path, maybe let's make it a forest because I like forests. And if you were to see on this path a prophet somewhere out in the wild, would you know that it's a prophet? Could you see them coming? Would you be able to identify that? And what, what does a prophet look like anyway? Is it that long hooded robe, you know, long flowing beard, uh, wild eyes, wild hair, all staff? Is that the picture that you get? For me, in my mind, the picture of a prophet, I'm going to confess, looks oddly the same as a wizard, all right? They have that same aura of mystical otherness, the divine authority and power but I got to admit, that's much more about my imagination than anything that ever came from Scripture. A biblical prophet does not look anything like a movie prophet. Movies are there to entertain. Prophets most assuredly are not. Prophecy has been in the news a fair amount recently. It keeps coming up, and it looks like, honestly, that's set to increase. There's going to be more of that you might be hearing these things, and so that's why I wanted to, us to talk through this now as it continues to heat up and as it becomes more of an in-the-spotlight kind of thing, because it impacts how we live. What we believe shapes us, it forms us, and that should always look like Jesus, and it should always smell like the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm, I'm not sure if you have been seeing this or hearing about prophecy stuff, how it's coming up on the news. I'm not sure if that's you, but I've heard it. It's coming out of the United States. It's coming out of Canada too. And it's been amplified through media coverage, both that social media and the mainstream media. It's been accelerated through COVID or the pandemic kind of issues, but honestly, mostly through politics and therefore growing in volume whenever elections are mentioned or anticipated. So just a quick note, blending religion and politics always harms religion. And it always harms politics. It's a bad blend and it's been toxic throughout history. These problems are not new. Let me share with you some of the mechanics uh, from a real-life example. So remember though, as we do this, this is about Jesus. We're here to focus on Jesus and not the parties or the people involved, okay? They're all just characters in a play. So let's try and get that clear from the get-go. Jesus first, everything else after. So let me introduce you to one fella as an example. His name is Jeremiah Johnson. Here he is, 33-year-old, self-described prophet. You go, okay, not this guy, all right? This is the movie character that Robert Redford played who's become kind of a well-known meme. That is Jeremiah Johnson. I'm not talking about that guy. I'm talking about this guy. Boom, there he is. Also, Jeremiah Johnson. His track record created a loyal audience of hundreds of thousands of people. And they follow him on social media. They hang on his predictions about things like the coronavirus pandemic and what's going to happen with that. They listen to him about the makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court and the possibility of spiritual revival in the U.S. He has got a massive following, and his followers took comfort ahead of a recent election when Mr. Johnson shared a prophetic dream about a specific candidate. So when a different candidate 
was certified as the winner of the election, Mr. Johnson had to admit that he had let his followers down. His prophecies did not come true. As a prophet, he was wrong. And so he wrote a detailed letter, and he posted it online, and he said in it, I was wrong. I am deeply sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. I would like to repent for inaccurately prophesying that his candidate would win the election. Sounds good, right? A man who knows he was wrong, he admits it, understands the consequences of his words on other people, takes responsibility, both apologizes publicly and seeks forgiveness publicly to try and restore relationship, to submit himself under a higher authority. Yeah, it sounds rare in this world, and it's also you know, kind of admirable. Well, the backlash to Mr. Johnson's apology was immense, intense, and immediate. He reported that he received multiple death threats and thousands upon thousands of emails from Christians saying the nastiest and most vulgar things that he had ever heard toward his family and towards his ministry. He also said that he had lost funding from donors who accused him of being a coward, a sellout, and a traitor to the Holy Spirit. He was wrong. What he said would happen did not happen. But they wanted it to happen. So now he's a bad prophet, and his life is threatened, not because of lies, but because of truth. Prophets are so frequently tied into the future. That's basically what people think of when they think prophecy. Tell me what will happen. Let me know what's coming. I want to know. And that idea of getting divine access to the future is a highly respected and ancient desire. We can go all the way back to the ancient Greece and the oracles, all the way up to modern astrologists. It's basically in every culture all around the world. And Christianity in particular points to prophecy throughout history and throughout the Scriptures. So many prophecies were given and fulfilled within the biblical writing time span. So many fulfilled prophecies about Jesus. So many prophecies still for our future. We believe that the gift of prophecy continues into this present age, but what does that mean? And what does that look like? And that has long been the subject of intense theological debate. Those are the questions that I want to kind of poke around today a little bit as we find ourselves today looking into prophecy. There is a rapidly growing movement within Christianity highlights and champions prophecy and prophets. Many, not all, but many. Certainly the ones that you are hearing about are self-declared, self-appointed, independent evangelists who do not lead churches or other institutions. They have no recognized authority structure that they fit under or they fit with and they have no governing body. They're, they are not licensed, authorized, delegated, or appointed. And they operate primarily online and through appearances at conferences, uh, as guest speakers, going to churches, making money through book sales, donations, and phone sessions. 
speaking fees. This is how they are collecting, and they are part of the rising appeal of conspiracy theories in Christian settings. Prophecy for a price, and it's good business. They are making tons of money. Popularity of self-appointed prophets shows no signs of waning. And as denominational Christianity kind of declines across the board, these magnetic independent leaders have stepped into that void, boldly claiming and taking what they want. It's a symptom of our time. People increasingly don't trust institutions, and they think that all mainstream institutions are corrupt, like universities and scientists and government, religion, and the media. We can't trust any of them. People are searching for real sources of truth, and they're tuning in to prophets. And after hearing what happened to Jeremiah Johnson, it's also no surprise that the prophets tend to say things that people already believe and prefer. Tell me the future, but only the one that I want. Prophecy is a fast uh, it's, it's a facet of the, fast, of the fast-growing charismatic Christian movement, which has estimated uh, about half a billion followers worldwide, and it's characterized in part by the beliefs in the gifts of the Spirit. That also includes a heavy emphasis on uh, speaking in tongues and supernatural healing. Now, for clarity, all right, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit, not just the sign gifts, and not with some gifts as more godly than others. And if you want to take a more in-depth look into what we believe, then you can go and check out the message series that we have done previously. It's called The Gifted, and if you search it up, uh, it came in about January of 2016. You can find that on our website, into1.ca. Go there, select messages, and then you can search up The Gifted. Nine episodes explaining, breaking down different gifts. And if you've never if, if, if you've never looked into this, then I would highly recommend doing that. Quick summary. All of the gifts of the Spirit are for the building up of the community of faith and are given as gifts to the church. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to an individual in trust that they would then use their gifts in teamwork to build up the church, not as individuals for self-aggrandizement. Remember, Jesus first, everything else after. So we are in earnest pursuit of Jesus, not the gifts. We long for the giver of the gifts and not just for the gifts themselves, but we need to be faithful in the use of of our gifts for the building up of the church. So Christian prophets are meeting a hunger for reassurance and clarity that can be observed in all, all corners of uh, North American culture. Astrology is exploding in popularity. Something like 40% now of North Americans believe in psychics. It's also an easier spiritual pursuit than, you know, working and studying and discerning and communing with the Holy Spirit. Far easier to just have someone else tell you than to be an earnest spiritual seeker on your own. 
But in doing that, you short-circuit the process. It shortcuts the discernment, and it, it, it circumvents, it avoids actual, real, spiritual growth. We want your faith to grow through an intimate and ongoing relationship with God Himself, and I don't want you to be satisfied with the inferior prophet alone, not when God Himself welcomes you to come forward. And it is your right relationship with the Holy Spirit that allows you to weigh and to discern the prophetic that's happening around you. All spirits must be tested. In Jeremiah Johnson's case, it made perfect sense for many people watching it that God would want to be involved in the outcome of an election, just as He is involved in every human life. And so, why wouldn't He make our candidate win? It seems that currently there are more and more prophets that can tie God's plans directly into the United States, that God somehow favors the nation above all others. And coincidentally, those prophets have something in common. They are all American. This is not a view shaped by the church worldwide. So American prophets sell an America First prophecy to Americans who become more convinced that it must be true because another prophet just agreed. It's based on what they would like to happen. It's their preferred view of the future. It does not focus on God's will for the world or even the United States. It focuses on the view that God's preference is for the United States and then the obvious blessings that God wants to give to Americans. And if they do what the prophets say, that will go well. And then punishments will come when people disagree. It's basically the exact same situation that was happening in ancient Israel when the big-name prophets were on the scene, when they were speaking and prophesying. So, same politics for Jeremiah, and not Jeremiah Johnson this time. Now I'm talking about the weeping prophet Jeremiah. I'm talking about Ezekiel and Hosea and Zechariah and on and on and on. Most of these so-called modern prophets fit solidly within the pattern of the false prophets of the Old Testament that were such a problem because they pander to the powerful, they prophesy for pay, and they falsely predict victory for the king. They were too popular with the ancient ruling class, the establishment, those that were interested in keeping the wealth and the power where it was. It's okay because the prophet said so. Prophecy gives me that little extra element of power and control because God spoke to me. And what I'm saying, perhaps not so subtly under that, is spoke to me and not you. God told me, therefore you have to listen to me. You have to obey. You have to give me respect because God is talking to me and not to you. It can most certainly be a way to control people, and that is not the function of biblical prophecy. Prophets point to God. So prophecy relates to end times thinking and revelation, revelation kind of focus, and people get so future-focused, and they're looking for events that look like things that you read in Revelation. Now, don't worry. We're not going to go and talk about Revelation today, okay? No kind of detail about that. There's another day coming, though, when we're going to talk a little bit more about Revelation and balance out some of those things as well. But here's a quick tip. As we go forward, all of us in our personal lives, and as we learn how to discern 
what we hear around us and live in this world. Stop saying these pseudo-prophet things like current event X is a precursor to this or that end times event, okay? First, we've been in the end times since Pentecost. It's not a new date that we're placing on the calendar. Second, in the cause and effect of history, literally every current event is a precursor to future events. So let's not over-dramatize or over-spiritualize events. Events have been happening for centuries, and they happen all over the world, and they happen all the time. Speaking about the end times is frequently kind of shrouded in a mystery, and it implies, again, special knowledge. The whole thing feels so esoteric. And that's a good word, right? I like that word. Esoteric here, meaning knowledge unavailable to you. But don't worry, you don't have to learn. You don't have to study. You don't even have to think because I've done deep, special, extra study to gather special, deep knowledge, secret knowledge. Remember that one of the key functions of the book of Revelation is not to hide. It is so that you would know and not so that you wouldn't know. I mean, they called it revelation, not secret. So for the purposes of clarification, it would be helpful to understand that when we use the word prophecy, it can mean more than one thing, all right? And there's different kinds of prophecy, and there's different ways that we use them. First one we're going to talk about is foretelling the future, and that's the one, again, that you've heard the most about. Something special is going to happen today, all right? And when you hear that, you just keep looking at everything, wondering if it is or if it might be that special thing that I'm supposed to be looking for. So you can't focus on your work, your calling, your mission for now because you are always imagining that you are seeing the beginning of the special thing. Was that it? Or was that all? Maybe this is it. Is that someone at the door? Unfortunately, the teaching around Revelation has brought about fear and dread too frequently. So here's a reminder about fear. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, you were children 16, children of God, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, so just imagine for a moment. It's time to put on your head the imagination cap. There is an alien from another world walking around asking what different things are, right? There is an apple seed on the ground, and it's explained to the alien that the seed grows into something that provides food. So the alien pictures a great, big, giant seed. There's nothing about the seed that suggests the apple tree that's right nearby. It's only in looking backwards that one can make the connection. In the same way, we do best when we read prophecy backwards, 
not forwards. And we realize God knew what was going to happen all along. Number two, one of the ways that we use prophecy is to encourage one another. This is a reminder that Christian prophecy is less about geopolitical or end times kind of predictions and more about telling the world the truth about itself in light of Jesus' kingdom. The primary purpose of future foretelling biblical process, biblical prophecy is not so that we can figure out what will happen ahead of time because that's a huge distraction. You, you, you can't stop looking at things and, and you're calibrating them and you're, and you're measuring them against the prophecy. Is that enough? Does that sound like it? It sounds like it to me. And that prophecy was fr- frequently written in apocalyptic language full of symbolism and metaphors. So instead of watching for the things that happen and then telling the person next to you all about it, future foretelling biblical prophecies serve so that when it does happen, we will remember that it was foretold and be encouraged. In the meantime, Jesus says, focus. Focus on seeing first His kingdom today, right now. Matthew 6, But seek His kingdom first and His righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. John 14, 29, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. John 16, 1, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. John 16, 4, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you about this from the beginning because I was with you. John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. And what are the words that we should encourage each other with? What is it that we should remind each other when we see each other? Well, we remind each other, we encourage each other with the prophetic words about what happens around death and resurrection and the return of Jesus. All of that happened before verse 18 that we just read. And so let me tell you, this is the prophecy that is there to serve as an encouragement, not as a roadmap to the future. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. These are the verses that appear before. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in Him. 15, according to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left 
until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 16, for the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, you have heard it. Encourage each other with these words. So prophecy is about encouraging each other. It's about foretelling the future, but it's also about declaring the kingdom of God. Christians need to stop trying to restore a golden age of the past that never really was. And instead, start living in light of a future a golden age of the future that certainly will be. One of the most significant ways that the church throughout history has been faithfully declaring the kingdom of God is through the regular celebration of communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. Now, it's remarkable. In all of his writings, the Apostle Paul traveled all around, was in contact with all kinds of different churches, but the Apostle Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. There's prayers for faithfulness and prayers for commitment, prayers for humility, for love, for grace, for peace, for bearing with one another, for loving sacrificially, but never is there a prayer on behalf, on their behalf, for a change in their circumstances or an avoidance of what was going on around them and to them. God, in the midst of where we are, give us courage Find us faithful. Empower us to overcome, to bear up under, and to come through. So here's an example, another example of prophecy. And in this one, this prophecy contains future foretelling. It uh, includes encouraging one another and declaring the kingdom of God. Perhaps you've heard it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, 24. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 25, And in the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 26, for when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And that's the part that we're going to move to now. Concept of prophecy leading us back to our relationship with Jesus, where we together encourage each other, speak of the future that He shall return, and that we um, declare His kingdom. Prophecy is not bad. It does require discernment, and I want your ears to be trained as you listen to what happens in the world around us, not so that you could be afraid, so that you can be filled with hope 
and you can share hope with others, not for the sake of argument, but for the sake of peace. We trust in our God. Prophets will point to God. They will point us back to God. That is what their job is. So today, as we will once again welcome you into a Checkpoint Sunday, where we stop in the regular process of what we're doing to remember, remember what God has done in the past, ancient past, distance past, my past. And we're going to reevaluate where we are right now because it's really easy to drift from where we wanted to be, from where God has called us to be, from where we have decided that we would like to go. It's really easy to drift. So we reevaluate. Where are we? Where are you right now? You have faced hard things in the last month. You have been distracted. You've been misled. You've become angry. You became disillusioned. These things happen to us all. Today is the day that we reevaluate. I recognize, I'm honest that these things have happened. I take stock of where I am. Is this where I want to be? Is this where God has called me to be? Am I now in earnest pursuit of Him? And I take this time to call you, to welcome you back, to say, it's not the end that you drifted. But today's the day that we refocus. Remember, reevaluate, refocus. Don't go from today lingering in a path that you yourself have identified as being off the mark. You got there. It happened. Today we refocus. We repent. God, I was wrong. God, I made a mistake. God, please forgive me. Draw me back. Bring me back into right relationship with you. Open up this pathway before me again that I might be in earnest pursuit of you that I might be honestly in pursuit of you. And that's what we do now through communion. So if you are a believer in Jesus, you believe that He is your Lord and your Savior, you have asked Him to be this person for you, you have submitted your life to Him, then we would welcome you to celebrate with us. If that's part of another tradition, another faith, uh, another tradition, another kind of church that, uh, that you've been part of, Jesus is still the one that you're focusing on, then we would say you can participate here as well. If Jesus is, you're not sure about where you stand with Him, you're not, you're not clarified on, on, on what you would like to do right now, it's okay. That's not a bad thing. Just be honest. As we go through communion, this is something that you probably shouldn't participate in since it's a declaration that that's who you want to submit yourself to. No one's forced to. Free choice. Is this the life that you want? If it is, then we're going to ask you to walk along the aisle here. For those of you at church online, you're going to have to prepare your own elements. Sorry. But for here, come down this aisle, up this one. The elements are set for you at the back. I would encourage you to be bold in your faith. Sometimes communion is seen as entirely silent and private, and if that's what you would prefer, you can do that. But if you could celebrate with someone, you could look somebody else in the face and say hard things to that describe your faith, then I think that's a worthwhile thing too. Maybe even serve each other and say, body of Christ, given for you. Blood of Christ, 
shed for you. It's not hard, but it's a challenge if you've never done it before. But these are things that are good to share between friends, between family. So I would welcome you. Gather if you can feel comfortable. If you need to just go back to your seat, that's okay too. But let's take a next step. We've got to this place. Let's take a next step that is going to be a challenge for us, that will be about us pursuing our Savior with our whole heart, our earnest pursuit. Father, thank you for the gifts that you have put before us. Jesus, thank you for thinking that we were worth your time, your trouble, and your pain when you had every option to abandon the plan, you committed and you stayed in. And you stayed in even if it was just for me. It wasn't about the cumulative nature. It was about the individual. You said that I can provide a way. I can offer forgiveness. I can offer healing. I can offer the chance for right relationship with God. And I would do to make that a reality for these. If it is your desire to accept that gift from Jesus once again, then I welcome you to join us. Thank you for the gift of your life. Thank you for the broken body. Thank you for your spilled blood given that we might have relationship with you. I choose to take those elements and I put them inside me saying, this is what I want inside of me. More of you, Jesus. More of you, Holy Spirit. Come and fill your people. Give them a taste of your grace once again that they would have connection with you, that they could stay linked and synced with you as they face whatever it is that they have to face. We simply ask for your presence with us as we go. Thank you for this freedom, Jesus. Amen. As you are ready, please come.